going to ask you a question. When was the last time that you were tempted? Um, some of you are going this morning, right? Uh, <laughs> yes, we got one honest person. Um, what was it? What was the temptation? Did you give in to the temptation? Did you win the battle over the temptation? Um, was it a, a positive temptation or a negative temptation? Let me explain the difference between the two. Was it a positive temptation, meaning that it was something like you won something, you succeeded at something, and the temptation was to hoard that glory for yourself? That's kind of the positive temptation. We don't think about it a lot, right? Or was it a negative temptation? Something to indulge in the flesh, to, to just kind of give in and take the next drink or take the next bite or take the next step or take the next move or text the next text or look at the next thing. Was it, was it positive? Was it negative? What, what was it? Satan is a master at both of those. He's a master at both the positive side and the negative side. And he's so slick. And have you ever noticed how creative he is in baiting the hook in temptation? Have you ever thought about that? I, I want to kind of highlight that before we dive into this text. But he never tempts us with the sharp edge pointing out. Right? So, so Satan never comes to us in temptation with something like this. Hey, I want to tempt you with a load of debt and falling off of a hill, right? But they, he never comes like that. He comes like this right here. Hey! This is husband's use where you can nudge your wives. Be like, hey! Right? He, he comes like, hey, the influencer is having fun. Don't you want to have fun? This, this will satisfy you. And just so that we don't talk to the ladies, hey guys, here's your turn. Maybe it's like this. <laughs> now we can do this. Like some cities you couldn't do that in, but in Northport, that is completely relevant. <laughs> All right? As a matter of fact, some of you guys are like, I was not tempted until now. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. I mean, you, you see how subtly he, he attacks? Or maybe we could do it a different way. Satan never comes to you like this. Hey, would you like hardened arteries? No, how does he come to us? Like this. Amen. Yeah, do you see that? He's so crafty. He's he's so subtle. He comes in that manner because if he came with the bad side first, we'd never fall into temptation, would we? We'd avoid it every time. But he doesn't. He comes. Do you remember the asthma commercial with the fish out of the bowl? Everybody remembers that, right? As a matter of fact, you just started taking a breath right now. I can't breathe. The fish that was out of the boat, he, he never comes like that. Hey, if you bite this temptation, you're going to be like that fish out of the bowl that can't breathe. The way that he comes is, hey, Christ is robbing you from experiencing the joys of life by keeping you in this Christian obedient fishbowl. You just hop out of it, then you'll find life. You see the subtle difference? And so if you find yourself with the lures of temptation, hey, you're in good company today. Because number one, if you're in this room and you've experienced temptation, raise your hand. You're here with everybody. But number two, you're in good company because today in Luke, we finally hit the temptation of who? Of Christ. Of Christ. You're in good company. 
So we're going to chew through that today. In today's text, Jesus is going to find himself in the midst of a ruthless temptation. And if God will be gracious, we're going to see what those lures look like and will be weaponized to war against it, if we, again, if the Lord's gracious. So in other words, we'll see how Jesus alone gives us breath to our lungs, where we can truly breathe, so we can truly thrive. Let's pray together. Lord, today... This text will be applicable to everyone in this room. And so we're asking you to be gracious to us. To be gracious to let us see what Satan's lures look like and how to weaponize ourselves against it. But I do pray that you'll be gracious to show us how through you, you bring breath to our lungs. You give life. You're the one through which we truly live, through we, which we truly have our being, and through which I pray somebody is able to walk out of this de- door today, not just living, but thriving. So let me set the stage if you haven't been with us. Um, we, we go through the books of the Bible. We've been traveling through the book of Luke now for 11 weeks, and we've made it all the way to Luke chapter 4. And Jesus has just been baptized. Um, he is fresh out of the baptistry. I mean, he's still wet. He, he doesn't go to Frida's for lunch to celebrate with some nachos. Um, there's no discipleship training class after his baptism. He just heads straight out into the wilderness, his first move to do battle. That's where we find ourselves. So here's the text, Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, baptism, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. This is bonus before we get into all of it. Catch that right off the bat. Sometimes the Spirit leads you into harsh terrain. Not every time that you're led by the Spirit is lovey-dovey, warm fuzzies. So let's be careful about that. We won't talk about that today, but here we go. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, Jesus was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And then the devil took him up, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will. If then you will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And so then he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they shall bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, implication, it wasn't just three, a lot more for 40 days, he departed from him until an opportune time. The word of God for the people of God. Be seated. 
So in this text, we're going to dive into both practical and spiritual. And so we're going to dive into the practical in just a second. But first, I think we should just marvel at the spiritual because there's some spiritual stuff right off the bat that's incredibly encouraging in this text. All right, so again, practical and spiritual components of this text. Let's hit the spiritual first. The spiritual just being this. Adam, the first man that was created, was created as a son, per se, from God. Okay, not the son of God, but created as a son, per se, from God. Adam was created, and then he encountered Satan, and he failed miserably. Right? So the first human created, encountered Satan, failed miserably. Jesus, spiritually, um, was made to be the son of God. And then right off of that, catch this, his first move was to fix what Adam messed up. That was his goal, right off the bat. I'm going to fix what the first Adam messed up. That's our hope. That's our joy. And church, he did it. He didn't just move to fix what Adam messed up. He, he really did fix it. Hebrews chapter 4 says it this way. We do not have a high priest that is unable to sympathize with us. Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are and yet without sin. That's the great spiritual joy of this text. And so if you're looking at it going, man, what is the overarching meaning? That's the joy. That he fixed what the first Adam broke (laughs) right off the bat. Baptism. And then he went straight to fixing everything that was unraveled or that fell apart in the fall of man. Boom, right off the bat. And so have you ever pondered or asked the question, like, why does church even exist? What is the point of church? Have you, ever, have you ever asked yourself that question? Is it so that I can gather and have potlucks or so that I can go to a place where I enjoy great music? Or, like, have you ever asked, like, why does the church even exist at all? This is why we exist. We gather to boast in the fact that Jesus batted a thousand over temptation every single time, yet without fail. He's perfect. That's why we gather. Like We gather just to rejoice in Jesus. We don't gather to come together to figure out how to be better people or all this kind of... We gather to boast in Jesus. It is all about Jesus. It's, again, it's not just some cool lettering that we, we thought, hey, this would be cool for this series. Like That's why the church exists. So when we come together... We sing songs about Jesus' perfection over temptation. That's what we sing about. When we come together, we study the text. And every single text screams that Jesus conquered temptation every single time. He's he's perfect. He batted a thousand. We take communion. Communion table. uh, Six of them. Every single time reminding us Jesus' blood was perfect. His sacrifice was perfect. We teach our kids in the other room. Jesus batted a thousand over temptation. He was perfect over it. We have community groups throughout the week. Those community groups gather to eat together, to hang out, hopefully not to be gluttonous, uh, but to enjoy one another, to celebrate the fact that we're united, that Jesus batted a thousand over sin. We leverage unified resources to proclaim Jesus batted a thousand over sin. This is why we gather. When you look at this text, what I'm trying to say is, man... Don't read this text and go, okay, this is mainly about how to battle temptation and get to the practical side. It's not, and and it is simultaneously because we're about to spend the rest of our time talking about the practical side. But the main point of the text is, for believers, this is our home run passage. 
Jesus was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. Perfect. Blemish-free. That's why he's our hope. That's why he's our substitute. And we'll get to that in just a minute. He was spirit-filled. He was spirit-led. He was Satan-tested for 40 days. And he came out without one single blemish. That's our hope. So the song is right. Our hope is built on nothing less than... That was the sorriest quote. Come on. We just proclaimed... So, so again, it's not, it's, not, it's not scripture. It's not the inerrant scripture. But it is a great song. So when we sing it, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's why church exists, period. And any other church that exists for any other means is a broken, false church. We exist to boast in Jesus. That's our hope. That's why church exists. So, that's the spiritual side. Now, with that said, man, there's a lot of good practical stuff here. A lot of good practical stuff. We're going to chew through it. So, let's look at the practical and just trust that as we chew through it, that the Spirit will weaponize our faith, per se, as we look through this. All right? So just a couple of things as we go through it. They'll, they'll list out in bullet points below. Um, we've already done the spiritual hope, so go ahead and pop that one up, and then we'll rock through the practical hopes, okay? Number one, I think practically we can see out of this, if you're a note-taker, is, hey, practically, Satan's a real enemy. He is a very real enemy. He's not a myth. He's not a myth that was made up to kind of scare people into control or manipulation. That's, that's not true. Um, he, he's not a mythological creature. He's real. His attacks are very real. But just because he's real doesn't mean everything you've heard about him is real. Let's say some things that he's not, maybe to help you theologically or help all of us as we chew through who he is. He is not a red cape-wearing, pitchfork-toting thing. Okay? I know, Halloween's coming up, and you've already got your costume to be the devil. For <laughs> I hope you haven't got your costume to be the devil for Halloween. Uh, but he's not. He's not that thing. He's not that pitchfork-toting thing. Um, he's not sporting a 666 tattoo. He's not riding a Harley. No offense to anybody that rides Harleys. Uh, he, he's not gruff, okay? He's winsome. He's charming. He is seductive. He's, he's clean-shaven. He's fit. He, he comes in like an angel of light. Okay? He would be walking to church and be the first ballot person that we go, oh, but that's a future elder, that's a future deacon, that's a pastor. He comes in subtle and cunning and, 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 and conniving. He was created, so therefore he can only be one place at one time. Meaning he can't be everywhere, so... If your mama says that Satan is attacking her, and then Queen Elizabeth says that Satan is attacking her, and then somebody else in Africa says Satan is, that's impossible. He's a created being. He can only be one place at one time, and chances are uh, he, he's got bigger fish to fry than coming after Troy Nicholson. He is a created being, nonetheless a fallen being. So how does spiritual activity work? Um, demonic forces are very real. And... Though Satan specifically may not be attacking, um, there's definitely forces constantly warring against us. That is real, okay? 
So let's be careful, number one, about giving Satan more credit than he's due. Right? Let's be very careful about that. He's a created being, one place, one time, but yet all kind of spiritual activity is going on. He's an angel that was banished from God's glory forever. And his whole task is to KO anyone he can on his way down straight to the pit of hell. That's his goal. That's who he is. So the first thing practically we can learn from this is, is Satan powerful? Yes. Is he divine? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Don't give him more credit than he's due, but he's real. And the spiritual realm is active. So I think we can learn that. That there's a war really going on for your soul, for your family, for your life. And it comes in the form of temptation. Number two, Satan, I think we can learn from this text, will attack in calculated moments. Did you notice in the text that it was calculated how he came to Christ? And you can rest assured that it's calculated in the way that he comes after you and your family as well. Let's look at a couple of things. Jesus was hungry in this moment. You've all seen the Snickers hangry commercials, right? Man, they're funny. Uh, the one with, what's her name? Bet, uh, Bet, what, Bet, Betty White. I was going to say Bette Midler, and that's not correct. Betty White, yeah. That's, those are they're great commercials, um, but they're, they're real. How many in this room, when you are hungry, you get a case of the hangries? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's me. My blood sugar gets all warped, and I get all messed up, and I get all angry, and the kids start rolling their eyes, and they're like, oh, Dad's on. And then Julie Beth rolls her eyes back at them and goes, I can fix this. Hey, babe, let's pop a pizza in the oven. (laughs) You need to get something in your system. He comes to Jesus after he's been fasting 40 days. Notice he didn't come to Jesus after Jesus was at a feast. He came when he was hungry. Not only was Jesus hungry, but he was isolated. He had gone out into the wilderness so Satan looks at Jesus, he's tracking him, and he goes, all right, he hadn't eaten for 40 days. This is a good opportunity moment. Um, number two, he's in the wilderness. He's by himself. This is a, also a great moment. Why is being isolated so volatile in your life? You ever thought about that? Why does Satan come when you feel isolated? Well, here's why. But I think one of the reasons why. When we're, hungry, when we're not just hungry, but when we're isolated, when we're off on our own, We don't have anybody to talk to. And when we don't have anybody to talk to, we don't have any proper perspective to go, hey, what you're thinking sounds a little bit nutty. And our minds begin to create false scenarios with false answers, and it turns up all kind of crazy stories and isolations, and we start to believe our own crazy, don't we? That's what isolation does. That's why nobody was created to be alone. That's why community groups are so important. It's why life on life is so important. It's, look at the person to your right or your left. You may not know them, but just kind of look at them. Stare in their ear hole if you don't know them. That would be real weird. That person is valuable to you. Not just because you think they're cute and cuddly, if they're your, if, <laughs> if they're your spouse, uh, you know, whatever. Or if, because we're created. To have other people speak into our lives. And Satan goes, he's isolated, he's by himself, he's tired and hungry. This is the moment I'm going to attack. It's calculated. Satan attacks. And then finally, not only is he hungry, not only is he isolated, but all of that, he's tired. And when we're tired, we can't think clearly. We can't speak clearly. We've got several police officers here in the room. 
And, and I say that for two reasons. Uh, number one, because if you're planning on doing something nutty, there's cops everywhere, all right? <laughs> there we go. Uh, but number two, police officers, what is the craziest shift that you can possibly work smack dab in the middle of the, in the, middle of the night? Yeah, it's after the ball game. It's, it's 2 a.m. down the street at the ball. People are nuts, right? Why? Because they're hungry, they're exhausted, they're tired, and they're doing stupid stuff. Right? This is why rave parties never happen at 11 o'clock in the morning. Like, you've never seen one. Like, hey, put on your high heels and your crazy clothes, and let's have a rave party at 11 o'clock. They don't. This is why they always start at night, because Satan attacks. He's subtle in these moments, and he's, he's coming in this moment. So, Satan will attack you at calculated moments. So, if you find yourself tired, isolated, and exhausted, don't be shocked at all if Satan starts whispering temptation in your ear. What about this? You should do this. You should do this. You should do this. This is why it's called deeds of darkness. Because we fall in the dark way quicker than we fall in the light. Not only physically, but also proverbially. Right? Now, with that said, I think we can also see, according to this text, that the Holy Spirit has empowered you for every calculated moment that Satan attacks. That's the hope of the believer. We see this in this text. Jesus was hungry, Jesus was isolated, Jesus was tired, but also the first thing that Luke says is he was also spirit-led. So he finds his power by being tapped into the spirit. Now, I don't know how that works with the divine trinity and the Godhead. I don't get it, but this is what the text says, so we're going to go with it. The point of that is, you have as a believer everything you need to fight against the enemy in those calculated moments. The question is not, are you being tempted? The question is, are you seeking the Spirit's guidance over that temptation? You've got it, man. You've got everything you need to follow him. Here's some instances of some people who were hungry. Peter and John were arrested in Acts chapter 4. They're arrested, they're locked in chains, they're headed to trial. Okay, So they're hungry in this moment. And here is what happened. When they prayed, the place was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In those moments when you are weak because you're hungry and your mind's blah, 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 it's a great moment to go, Jesus, fill me afresh and anew. And he will, so much so that he'll shake the ground. And hopefully he'll shake the ground of your life. Here's another instance of some people who were isolated. John chapter 16. Jesus had just told the disciples, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you by yourself. You're going to be isolated all alone. And in that moment, he says, but I will give the helper to be with you. And he'll never leave you. Here's what he says. The Holy Spirit will guide you in my absence in all truth. The Holy Spirit will illuminate every path of the wilderness of your life. If you are seeking him. So again, the question is, are you seeking him? Do you find yourself isolated in the wilderness because you're not seeking him? Or are you seeking him? So, hungry, isolated, and then tired. We've got some exhausted disciples after the events of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They are absolutely wiped out, right? Their world has just unfolded. Jesus comes to them and says, listen, I know you're tired, I know you're isolated, I know you're hungry, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You have everything you need as a believer 
through the power of the Holy Spirit to battle temptation. I think we can see that in the text. So again, the question is, as believers, are we seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit in a fickle way? Or are we laboring to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you see the difference? Fickle versus labor? Here's kind of a way I could see it, or a way I was trying to chew through this text in my mind. Uh, I love cutting grass. I love it. I love the lines. I love the smell. I love all of that stuff. And you go, well, then you should come cut my grass. I don't love it that much. But I do love cutting grass. Now, across the street from us is a field. It is a gorgeous field. And that field begins to grow up. And usually about two times a year, they'll go out there and cut that. And I think a lot of times we look at our spiritual lives a lot like that. It's just kind of like, eh, I'll just kind of watch it. And maybe when I see some weeds growing up, then I'll go out there and try to cut it. It's just kind of fickle. My faith is fickle, fleeting. I don't know about church. I don't know about studying. I don't know. But then when the proverbial you-know-what hits the roof... All of a sudden, we become hyper-spiritual, don't we? I need to pray. I need to study. I need to... And you get out there and you try to cut that grass. But here's the deal. Your blade's not sharp enough. Your blade on your own is not sharp enough to just go out and cut when you all of a sudden need the Spirit to show up. It doesn't work like that. There's labor in this. The question is not... Is our spiritual life like a field that I'm just trying to monitor and then just jump in and cut it when I need to? It's more like... Breathing. Is your spiritual life growing in the same way that you are breathing? Do you just every now and then take a breath? Or do you breathe constantly? I mean, it's, you know, this my simple question, right? Like Troy, I'm breathing constantly. That's what spiritual labor looks like. If we're going to battle the enemy in temptation, the question is not, do I jump in when I think I need to, or is it, man, I am breathing in and out the Spirit every day. I am chasing Him down. I am laboring to pursue Him. Church, labor to pursue the Spirit as a family. Labor to teach your kids that they don't just need Jesus when everything comes apart. Labor to teach them that they need Jesus just like they need breath. That's what the spiritual journey... Does that make sense? That's what the spiritual journey looks like. I think we can see that in that text. Jesus is constantly walking in step and the Holy Spirit has empowered us. But that power is not useful if we don't know how to use it. Labor in him. Number four, I think we can see from this text that biblical truth is your counterpunch. Jesus didn't just go, well, I'll figure this out. And I don't want to make much more of this than, than is there, but let's kind of look at it together. All of the text is meat, but this little section right here is like the buttery filet. This is the filet mignon of the text, so let's look at it together. Biblical truth is your counterpunch. The first temptation was... Command stone to be bread. Jesus' response, super simple, super quick. He didn't make much of it. He said, hey, Deuteronomy 8.3 says, man doesn't live by bread alone. That's it. Countered it, biblically. Temptation number two was, worship me, and I'll give you the entire world. Jesus' response was, Deuteronomy 6.13 says, worship and serve God alone. 
Temptation number three was, all right, well, throw yourself off the temple and make the angels come and save you. And he actually misquotes Psalm 91 in that text. Jesus' response, quick and simple, Deuteronomy 6.16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. There's so much here. There's a lot there. But the overarching point is this. If your spiritual journey and your battle over temptation depended on you quoting Deuteronomy, how would you fare? How would you come out? I would flunk the test, right? I, I really would. I mean, I've got a few of them, and you're like, Troy, you're a pastor. I'm, I'm also honest with you, all right? I got about five verses I've memorized, <laughs> and if it doesn't fall in that category, I'm in trouble, all right? So here's the deal. In this moment, he responds with this counterpunch of biblical truth. I want to take a glance at the fourfold temptation, then ask two questions real quick. To be clear, I, I think... Everything I'm about to say as far as the temptation goes, I think they apply to all of them. I don't think each temptation had a different point. I think all three temptations had the same temptation wrapped in it. All right? And I think it's the way Satan attacks us. So hear this and then we'll move on. Number one, I think here's the way that he attacked Jesus was to satisfy his fleshly cravings. And that's how Satan t- attacks us too, right? Satisfy your fleshly cravings. It's what he comes at. In other words, he said this, Hey, I want you to worship comfort and pleasure versus follow the Spirit. So he comes to him and says, Hey, what about bread? Is bread in and of itself evil? No, not at all. But he's craving it. And he says, Will you, will you, will you satisfy that craving first or will you follow the Spirit who has led you in the wilderness? And so this is the essence of the conversation. There's a lot of if-thens. What I'm trying to get at is, basically what he's saying is, if Jesus, you will be more in tune with your eyes and your belly, if you'll be more in tune with what you see you want and what you feel that you want, then there is no doubt, Jesus, that you are going to eat the fruit just like the first Adam did. Wasn't that how the first Adam fell? Hey, here's some fruit. You should eat this. And Adam goes, buddy, that Looks tasty, and his eyes got him. And then that old belly starts rumbling. I don't know how a rumble happens in the Garden of, uh, of Eden, but the belly begins rumbling. He goes, yes, I want that. He takes the bite. It's the same thing Satan comes to Jesus with. Because if Jesus obeys Satan's commands and orders, then he's disqualified as Christus Victor. He's no longer the victor if he follows what Satan is tempting him with. And he tempts him right there with that worldly craving. So, is Satan tempting you with your eyes and with your belly? Probably. He's tempting me that way. Are you falling in? I think we can learn this to see what Satan's hook really is. And then, number two, the temptation was to depend on self apart from God. In other words, Jesus, I just need you to doubt God's faithfulness to you. Just, if you'll just doubt that, if you'll just doubt that he'll provide you the manna that you need, and just bypass God's faithfulness and, and churn up for yourself some bread. We fall into that too, don't we? I do. God, I know you've said you'll be faithful in this area, But you're not doing it the way that I want you to do it. So, buddy, I'm about to change the whole scenario. And we try to get in there and do it on our own. 
And so he's tempting him to bypass that. Why? Because if Christ will avoid suffering, if Christ will bypass the suffering and not having his craving satisfied, then no doubt he will avoid the cross at all costs. As a matter of fact, you even see that in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus goes, I don't want to drink this cup of wrath. He starts feeling that craving to satisfy the flesh. I don't want that. But not my will be done, but yours, Lord. That's how we battle those cravings. And that's real, church. That's real. He'll come after you in that way. Christ would avoid becoming the wrath bearer for our sin if he couldn't even handle just going another few hours without bread. So that's why he comes to him. Satisfies our fleshly cravings, depend on himself apart from God, and then he tempts him with, uh, to make God prove himself. It's just like Israel demanding signs. God's got to prove that he's really real. And, and so in this moment, if Jesus thinks that God has to prove himself through signs, wonders, blessings, then... You've got a God who serves man rather than a man who serves God. Let me explain this real fast. In other words, when we tempt God with signs, God, you, you've got to give me a sign, right? And now I'm thinking of the sign, sign, signs everywhere, sign, blocking up the scenery, breaking my mind, do this, don't do that. Won't you believe the signs, Right? If we got a God who, who we look at and go, you've, got to, you've really got to prove to me or, or answer to this, then what we've just done is we've reversed the roles. We've now got a God who exists to serve us rather than us looking up and going, God, I'll, I'll do your bidding no matter what you ask me to do. So that's how he attacks even Jesus. It's, it's the prosperity gospel. It's the prosperity gospel. And... Satan still teaches the prosperity gospel. And you know the number one place he teaches the prosperity gospel? The church. The church. Somebody wanted to say it out loud and you're like, I don't think I can say that. In church. Can I say that the church is the number one place in church? That doesn't seem to be right. It's the number one place that Satan whispers the prosperity gospel. And, And here's what it sounds like. If God really exists, then he exists to make you happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise. And if you don't have happiness, health, wealth, and wisdom, then you just must not have God. And that's how it's sold. It's sold hook, line, and sinker. And people buy it all the time. That God exists to make your wallet fatter, your house bigger, your health better, all this kind of stuff. And if you don't have those things, then you must not be a person who's walking in genuine faith. That's garbage. And if you've bought into it, you need to hear somebody say to you, be freed from that garbage. Be freed from it. Christ exists to glorify himself and to exalt the Father. That's what Christianity is all about. It's all about Jesus. It is not all about insert your name. And that's why prosperity, I buy into it all the time. My life so many times is on Sundays, it's all about Jesus because, man, they crank it up and now I'm starting to wander around. I did have coffee this morning, so... right. 
It, it, and I get all I get excited. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And then Monday comes around, and all of a sudden it becomes, it's all about true Jesus. And then Tuesday comes around, and it's all about Troy's. And then by Wednesday, I just go, it's all about Troy. It's all about Troy. God, do my bidding. Right? And that's how he comes to him. And then number four, he tempts him this way, and then we'll speed through the rest. He tempts him to prove his divine identity, not just prove that God is powerful or prove God's identity, to prove his own divine. If you are the son, if you are the son of God, he's so, he's a, Satan is a subtle snake. He is a subtle, crafty snake. If you're really the son of God, and that's Satan's MO. In other words, if Jesus doubts his own identity, then he will bail on the redemptive mission and then we're in trouble. Just get him to doubt And here's what it sounds like. Jesus, I heard the voice at the baptism that said you're the son of God. But if you're really the son of God, surely the son of God wouldn't be hungry. Surely not. And do you buy into that? Surely if I'm Christ's child, I wouldn't be suffering. Surely if I'm Christ's child, I wouldn't have temptation. Surely if this, then that. And he sneaks in and he's subtle and it's the same stupid thing that he did to Adam and Eve. You remember the lie? Surely God didn't say that you can't eat from every tree. He slips in, and he's subtle, and he's crafty, and he's cunning. And here's the reason why. And he's he's trying to get him down, and he's going, surely a God-man wouldn't be tired and exhausted and lack bread. Just craft up some bread. Just throw yourself down. Just, Just have these things. And here's what I'm trying to get at. Something doesn't have to be true to destroy you. You just got to believe it. I'm going to say that again. Something does not have to be true to destroy you. You just got to believe that garbage. And Satan is so crafty that he slips in and goes, Hey, surely you're not a follower because... may be completely untrue, but if you buy it, he's got you. He's got you. And this is how he slips in. Your identity... If you're a follower, is rooted in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. All things new have come. So here's the two questions out of that. Number one, if your salvation depends on quoting Scripture, how would you do? And then what are you going to do about that? Study it. Chew through it. Labor in it. Learn it. Counterpunch the way that Christ did. Sing it. Get in the Word. If you're a guest here, man, come to Safe Haven. We'd love to have you learn with us the text. I was talking to somebody this week about why we teach the way we do. We just want you to learn the text. That's all we want you to do. If you go, hey, I don't want to go to Safe Haven, just go to a church that teaches the text. That's all I'm begging you. Just go to a church that walks through the text. They don't hop around topically and give you all this mumbo-jumbo garbage. Learn the text. It's what you need. Chew through it. All right? Don't waste your life on social media. 
I'm going to say this and then we'll move on because I don't want you to start throwing pins at me. And that's all you got. Worship for some of you may just be to put your phone down on the bar and walk away from it. We get to battle Satan and we go, but I don't know what the scripture's saying. But I can tell him everything that's happening on TikTok. It's the newest TikTok dance right there. I can tell him all the newest fads to buy. But I can't battle him because I don't know scripture. If, if social media has done anything, it has removed the excuse we have for not knowing scripture. I don't have time. Well, just turn that sucker off. You got plenty of time. I do too. All right. Then the number two, has the prosperity gospel duped you? Suffering and harsh events can indeed be spirit-led. Look no further than Christ. And prosperity is the very thing that Satan offered to Christ. I'll give you everything if you just worship me. I'll give you everything. It's evangelical greed. I can say a lot of stuff, but trust in Jesus, not circumstances. Keep your eyes focused in temptation on the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, the intercession of Christ, and praise the Lord, the return of Christ. And if we're that Christ-focused, temptation comes our way, and we'll punch it in the eye. All right, here we go. Uh, Number five, man, I wish I had more time for this one, but you just need to hear this. Temptation itself is not sinful. Temptation itself is not sinful. Don't you buy into that garbage. Satan says, but you're tempted. You can't be a believer. Well, Jesus was tempted. Temptation itself is not sinful. As a matter of fact, he was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. Number six, escape is always possible. There is always a way of escape in temptation. We learn this from the text. Jesus battles through speaking the text, but 1 Corinthians 10 says it this way. No temptation is overtaking you that's not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation. He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Church! God is not a spectator on the outside of the ring watching you and Satan do battle and going, ooh, he really got you on that one. He's not. If you're a believer, he's in it with you. It's not even a tag team match. It is a royal rumble with you and Jesus versus him. Amen. That's who you are in Christ, right? It's always possible. He won't puppet your sin away and remove the consequences, but his grace is sufficient if you're a believer. Number seven, life is an ongoing battle with many rounds. Did you notice the last verse that Satan left him for what? An opportune time. In other words, just because you throw a verse at Satan and he leaves, don't mean that he's now afraid of you. He's coming back. He came back for Jesus He's coming back. So scripture's not this magical thing that, ooh, I cut Satan's head off because I reminded him of who he was and where he's going. Y'all heard that, right? Uh, When Satan reminds you of who you are, remind him of who he is and where he's going. Ooh, I got him. Whacked his head off. No. No, he's coming right back because he don't believe anything you've got to say and he wants to kill you and destroy you. He's got an opportune time that he's coming back. Um, And then number eight as we wrap it up. 
Here's the greatest thing. Jesus is your victorious warrior king. And if you're a believer, he is your substitutionary identity. That is your hope and temptation. That's your hope. Your hope is not that you win every match. Did you hear me? Your hope is not that you defeat every temptation. Your hope is that Christ defeated every temptation for you. That's the hope. That's the gospel. That's our joy. That's why we gather. Galatians 2.20, as the band comes up, says it this way. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Church, our sins were truly nailed to the cross. Not only your past sins, not only your present sins, but every future sin you'll commit. That's the scandal of the gospel. It was substituted in Christ's righteousness for you. That's the hope. Troy, did you just say the sins I have not committed yet that I will commit tomorrow are already covered? Yes! That's the hope of the gospel. That's the joy. That's what we trust in, that Christ was victorious over every temptation, not that we are. And then number two, our righteousness was truly attained in Christ's resurrected life, both now and forevermore. Yes, he walks with me, he talks with me along life's narrow way. I don't remember the rest of the song, but you may know what it says. (laughs) There was a quick one right there, Michael. walk with you. He also is standing in eternity and welcomes you home and says well done my good and faithful servant and I go, yeah but this temptation and he goes, I don't even know what you're talking about you are fully righteous in Christ. Welcome home my child. That's the scandal of the gospel. Unbeliever, why would you not want that? Believer, why would you not go hallelujah to that? That's the gospel. He conquered every temptation, and our assurance rests in Christ's substitution alone. Alone. Unbeliever, why not today? Believer. We've talked a lot. Jesus understands your temptation. Believer. Jesus relates to your temptation. Believer, Jesus gets it. And better than that, believer, Jesus has overcome. Jesus offers hope. Jesus is your redeemer. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you alone hold the power to redeem. What a text. So yeah, God, I I pray we walk away seeing that temptation is real, that you experienced it, that Satan is real, that all those things, he's really after us, tempting us with prosperity gospel and to prove that you're God and to prove that we're really children of yours and all that kind of stuff. And I I pray we learn to battle. 
identify where we're hungry and isolated and tired and all those kind of things and, and war against that. And I pray we read our Bibles and study and pray and get involved in community groups and, and get after. I pray all of those things, Lord. Yeah, yes. But I pray that every believer in this room is enamored with the fact that you alone hold the power to redeem. And if there's an unbeliever in this room, I pray today that they give their life to you.